everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today we are joined by Steve Raquel, who has graciously joined us for a second time, as the first time we had some technical issues. Steve, how are you? I'm doing well this time and last time. Well, I'm glad to hear that you were doing well before and you're also doing well now. And we were just talking a little bit before the podcast recording that you're actually waiting patiently or maybe not so patiently for SpaceX to launch some astronauts. Absolutely. Just off the corner of my eye. So, you know, brings me back to my my elementary school days watching the space shuttle come off. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am a bit of a space nerd. I, I love outer space. Don't necessarily want to live there or, or go up there, but I'm, I'm glad to see that we're getting some, some astronauts from American soil. Um, where are you joining us from today? I am in the suburbs of Chicago in Naperville, Illinois. I've been here uh, since 2000, uh, moved back right prior to the Olympics, but uh, I'm from the Illinois area. And uh, what are you doing there? Uh, you know what? I do a couple of things. I have my own uh, digital and social media agency. I've had it for 11 years. And actually for the last seven, almost seven now, I've been a adjunct uh, at the University of Illinois. So I teach digital advertising PR uh, on the collegiate level. Well, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you on and thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule. Um, I'm curious if the University of Illinois has made any announcements as to its fall schedule and whether they're going to have in-person classes here in Salt Lake City, the University of Utah. I think it was yesterday or the day before, and along with Westminster College announced that they are going to try to have in-person classes during the fall semester. You know, the decision will come June 15th. Uh, at the end of the day, the president and the chancellor have made it very clear they would love to have students on campus, that there's nothing like having you know, the student experience on campus both for the student and for the teachers. However, we had to follow the state and regulations and where we are in our in our phase. We have a five-phase system here in, in Illinois. But the hope is it'll, it'll, it will go back, most likely will be kind of a hybrid of, of online teaching and in-person teaching with a lot of restrictions. But my hope is, is to go back because I, I enjoy, while I enjoy being home and teaching from afar, there's something to be said about the student experience on campus. Yeah, absolutely. My daughter's a student at the University of Utah and attending the last few weeks remotely online through Zoom and other methods um, was, she did very, very well, but it was hard for her and she missed going to school and actually seeing classmates and professors in person. So she's very much looking forward to having some face-to-face uh, -face interaction, person-to-person -person real interaction with uh, professors and and classmates. So yeah, I hope that they can, I hope this crisis abates and we can responsibly and safely return to some sense of new normal, whatever that is. Absolutely. Same here. All right. Well, let's talk about old normal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to go in the Wayback Machine uh, to use some internet parlance there and look at what 
was going on in the mid to late 90s. So for you, Steve, what were you doing before you joined the Salt Lake Organizing Committee and how in the world did you find your way to Salt Lake City? Sure. You know, I was working in Chicago, uh, come straight out of school, worked for an agency called Frankel. Uh, one of the accounts, or the account I worked on it for the for the five years I was there was McDonald's. And uh, I was on new products. We worked on some great products like McPizza, McStuffins, Arch Deluxe, just a whole bunch of losers. But it was still kind of fun. Uh, and part of that was uh, we were a promotional shop. And in 95, uh, we were tasked as an agency to help develop the look of the games for McDonald's in, in Atlanta. And so I was a part of a team of about four in the agency, you know, partnering with other agencies. And uh, we developed the look and feel of the games. And we helped build out the, I believe it was 11 restaurants and managed everything in the Olympic Village. Uh, so. It was a pretty big deal, and after that, I just continued to kind of work on some of the sports activities as it relates to promotions. Worked on World Cup, worked on NBA, uh, and in '97, uh, once Salt Lake was identified as the uh, host city in 2002, the USOC and Opus uh, and uh, SLOC basically needed people to come in and, and really manage all of the Olympic sponsors who were going to sign up and would need help uh, determining how to use their millions of dollars to maximize their Olympic sponsorship. And so they were looking for four people. They had about 850, 900 applicants, and I was lucky enough to be one of the four. And uh, I first thought I was going to Salt Lake, or I first thought I was going to Colorado Springs, but they redirected me and said, you know what, we're going to just send you straight to Salt Lake. And uh, landed in 98, right in the middle of the, the, the last dance uh, experience with Michael Jordan and, and the Jazz and the finals. We, we actually moved into our apartment and then somebody invited us over to watch the game the flu game, and uh, it was pretty magical. Uh, I, I, I was uh, trying very, very hard to make friends, and it was hard to be that when, uh, when you're a Bulls fan coming in during the finals. But yeah, well, you, you, you were definitely, <laughs> yeah, you were definitely in hostile territory here. Um, you mentioned the Last Dance. There was a documentary there on ESPN for the Last Dance and uh, Michael yep. Jordan, which was quite popular. But I couldn't bring myself to watch it because the memories were still too painful 20 years later. Interesting. It wasn't painful for me. It was quite nice. So we enjoyed oh, it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it was wonderful for, for you all that uh, Jordan overcame the flu and, um, and you push know, off. Was to, yeah, get away from with a push off off of uh, Brian Russell. But the, that's all behind us now. So you gave up the Arch Deluxe and you yep. came here to uh, Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Um, you were going to go to Colorado Springs, but they told you to just keep on driving through. You end yep. up uh, here in Salt Lake. So um, what's your first impression? You arrive here uh, in the Wasatch Mountains. What, what do you what do you think? You know, just breathtaking. It's just a beautiful place. A little bit of trepidation just because you're in a new place. And uh, we just didn't know, you know, there's there are stereotypical things that you would think of in terms of Salt Lake. But honestly, it was the most beautiful 
place to be in, so close to the mountains. The people were wonderful. The area was great. The air was clean. It was just a completely different vibe altogether. And we just enjoyed it. So we we really put our outdoor hats on and try to enjoy it as much as we could because I know it was going to get busy. And it did. You mentioned busy. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about your role? Sure. You're in the Salt Lake Organized Committee, what you were responsible for. Sure. You know, and uh, so the way, for those of you who do or don't know, uh, the way that it works is when a host country has the games, uh, that Olympic Committee uh, also partners with the local organizing committee and usually has a marketing partnership. So they co-raise funds in order to cover both the marketing and the operations and just funding the games. That was called Opus. So um, Olympic Properties in the U.S. And uh, it was a better name than what I think the initial name was, which was Salt Lake, what was it, Uh, Olympic Properties? So Slop. So it ended up being Opus. (laughs) So yeah, uh, so we ended up being Opus, and part of our job was there's a good portion of it to to raise to to go out and get the Olympic sponsors, both international, well mostly national, uh, and and local, and then manage them. So you know, think of it in terms of somebody coming in and having dinner. Come in, you know, where do you want to sit? How big is your party? You go in there, and they're a local one. You know, you may be the waiter or waitress that gets to serve them amongst a number of different tables. So the four of us initially uh, handled, you know, the first grouping of of sponsors who jumped on board, which is, I would say, about 12 to 15. But they were the big ones, the McDonald's, the Bank of America's of the world, uh, also the local ones, uh, the Questar, uh, the, you know, the KSL. So the ones that we knew were kind of a lock in. Uh, that's who we served, and we we managed the relationship to make sure that they knew fully how to leverage their their investments. You know, Salt Lake City had had some challenges, right? That it faced uh, just around the time, well, I guess, a little bit before the time that you came on board. There was a leadership uh, leadership change. Tom Welch departs. Uh, Frank Jocklet comes in, and then uh, you're not there too long, and then the whole scandal erupts, and Jocklet is out, and uh, Mitt and Fraser come in. So, what was it like from a sponsor perspective having to navigate those those uh, testy waters? You know, it was it was really difficult. It was fascinating fascinating as well because uh, my co office person uh, Susan and I were. Uh, sitting there and just remember one day someone said you know go over to the conference room which was no more than 15 feet 15 steps from our our office walk in and just probably within um within a month i guess of us starting um you know we're looking up and we realize that there's a this big scandal and i think it was about 18 months it was about 18 months that we did not raise one penny for the Olympic movie movement. And it was very, very difficult. You know, you, you go from a shining brand that everybody wants to be associated with to one that seemed like we were a pariah, everything wrong with 
corporate greed and uh, extremism and you know all these bad things. You know these well-known sponsors uh, were they weren't necessarily saying no, but they were sitting on the sidelines, going, "We're not going to pull the trigger yet." And uh, at the same time, you know, it's kind of like people want to be a party of winners and we weren't winning a lot. And so part of it was redefining the brand and part of it was going out and and going and talking to potential sponsors and trying to pitch what the end of the tunnel looked like. But that was hard. You know, I was at pitches for Mettler Toledo to uh, to J- Johnson and Johnson um to boy there were a couple others and i just remember you know going okay guys we got to give us our best pitch you know and walking out there knowing that they liked they liked the brand as it was but they didn't like the brand currently and everybody was kind of just waiting and we knew at some point hopefully the dam would break and people would start coming back but we just weren't sure when it was and money was being spent, and the the Olympics were still happening. So uh, we all had, you know, these sales goals that we were trying to reach. And you got to keep in mind that that sales goal initially favored Salt Lake, but at some point, when Salt Lake's gas tank was full in terms of how much we needed to raise for them, that money switched to help fill up USOC. So there was a there was a dual need to make money. And uh, it was it, there's a there's a balance between raising the money and spending the money and having enough time to prepare for the games. So there are lots of different things going on. It wasn't there was never a panic mode, but there was just this urgency to to move on. And I think Mint was a really big piece about helping us move on and and finally letting the dam break and allowing sponsors to feel good about coming back. Well, you mentioned Mitt there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that changed up uh, when when he arrived? Yeah, you know, I normally uh, when we were on, I believe it was the old building on Fourth. I believe that's the street. It's been a while. It wasn't. It was probably a seventh story uh, building, the one before we went to the Wells Fargo building, and uh, and I somehow remember getting. To, to the office early, early enough just to pull right in front, pulled up. And I remember jumping up this couple of pair of stairs and reached out to open the st- door with my key card. And all of a sudden behind me, somebody says, hey, can you keep the door open? Sure. Pulled open, just kind of left it up there, hit the, uh, the stair, the ele- elevators are right there. Open the elevator, elevator opens up immediately. I come in. The other person comes in and then I turn to look at him and all of a sudden he goes, hi, I'm, I'm Mitt Romney. It's my first day. And uh, I looked at him, I went, I know who you are. <laughs> you know, everybody knows who you are. I'm like, congratulations. Welcome. You know, we were actually on the same, on the same uh, floor. So I just said, you know what, my key card, we're on the same floor, same key card. Great. You know, so I let him off and, you know, that was his first day, which was great. I can say I let Mitt Romney in on his first day of work. Yeah, if otherwise, uh, he may have been stranded. I can imagine all of our listeners who were involved in security during the games 
are just, you know, listening with horror. <laughs> oh, you let someone in just like this. Yeah, sure. Just come on into <laughs> our, you know, what's the point of having key cards if you're just going <laughs> to let people come in after you, you know? But yeah, uh, yeah it was met. So I guess all is forgiven. Yeah. And it worked out. So it was been a, he was, he was great. I mean, just, you could just see the change in the mood of everybody within probably that first month or month or two months. So it was, you know, he hates saying leadership change is, is a good thing, but in this situation, it was actually a really good thing. Let's talk about some of the people that you worked with there, Steve, to deliver what you needed to deliver, which is to bring all those revenues in for the games. Sure. Who were some of the people that were just really fun or inspiring uh, that you learned a lot from? You know, who were some of those interesting people that you worked with? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I will tell you, there there's a couple. I mean, I love my team. You know, we we covered a lot of different spaces. I mean, we marketing, housing, uh, uh, legal, uh, HR. I mean, we because we dealt with the sponsors. The sponsors, you know, needed all these different things. So uh, our our group, our marketing group, we were we were. We're all in the same area, but you know we're all enjoying. I mean, we're all young and single, or you know, newly married type of experiences. But it was just it was a young, vibrant area. So you know, we we had different group leaders at the time. Um, you know, the one that I think most people know is Mark Lewis. So Mark came on board. He was great. This is Goldsmith, who I worked with, Chris Coleman, Andy Silver, uh, Jason Horn worked over. I think in merchandising. Von Andrews and Molly Maslini was were our uh, legal and uh, Mark's people, uh, and uh, I I have a great respect for those two and that whole group because I will tell you these sponsors uh, if you've ever worked with sponsors they want to get as close to that Olympic mark as close as possible almost if they could hug it and and incorporate it into their own logo they would do it. If they could, especially the top ones, top sponsors. So, uh, you know, it it was great. It it was great having not only the the people that you work with, but the the clients that you had. You know, I worked with some great people like Dockery, uh, Clark at Bank of America, and Terry over at Xerox, and um, uh, there are a couple others. um, Haven. Uh, with Coca-Cola. So it's, it was great to have exposures to some of the best people in the business, both on the Olympic side and then on the marketing side with some of our sponsors. Well, you've got to tell us the my people story because Andrew's been bugging me about it. Sure. Uh, Our boss at the time uh, John Krimsky, uh, he was kind of an odd nut and, uh, you know, everybody would say he was kind of a, he was a weird guy. He, he was funny though. He had his own kind of interesting sense of humor and we had met at a team as a team in one of the conference rooms. And it was a, one of those long conference rooms that you would have where, you know, there's probably five people on one side, five people to the other, and then two at each end or one at each end. And I happened to be at the end and he just looks up at me one time and says, Steve, where are your people from? And I went, oh, 
okay. I mean, it, he would say these weird things that caught you off guard, and you always knew you you had to answer him quickly, or he could react. So I just said, well, you know, I'm I grew up in Central Illinois. I have, you know, I have uh, three siblings. I blah, 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 this, that. And I was just kind of going through my background. And he just kind of looks at me and he says, no, Steve, where are your people from? And I said, I looked at him and I again, I'm Filipino. And then all of a sudden he just went on to another topic. And that was it. That's all I had to say. And it was just the strangest thing. And everybody just kind of looked at each other and looked at me and it just became an inside joke. So anytime anybody in that room Kind of speaks to each other we and, and encourages each other. We just say, hey, you're my people. So that's how it works. And uh, it's quirky to this day, but that's kind of how you do the memory. <laughs> All right. Uh, my people. It reminds me of the Ten Commandments. Let my people go, Charlton Heston would say. Yeah. Okay. Well, take us to games time. Sure. You know, we, we had talked before, but uh, I think it's important for people to understand that not everybody stays with the committee throughout the entire life of the committee and people come and they go, but everybody who worked for the committee was important. So what was your experience working there and then actually leaving and, and uh, contributing in a different capacity? Yeah. You know, I had an opportunity to uh, oversee McDonald's Olympic marketing in 2000. And so they wanted me initially to stay in Salt Lake. So I stayed in Salt Lake for about a year, um, you know, maintained my relationship, kind of dealt with all the owner operators in Salt Lake. Um, but it was clear that I needed to be back in Oak Brook. So they moved me back in Oak Brook. But as you can imagine, I'm constantly back in Salt Lake. And uh, I was there on September 11th of all days. It was, uh, it was really weird. We were at a little America. So I believe that's the hotel uh, downtown. The real nice one. Yep. Here. Yep. Right. And uh, and was woken up by my wife who said, "Hey, well look look at the TV," and um, we did. And everybody kind of gathered in the I think in one of the or conference rooms and could not believe what was going on. And interesting enough, at the same time. In the same building, there was a a conference on dealing with terrorism <laughs> going on. So we were like, "Whoa, that's kind of strange." But I ended up getting in a car, driving all night, going back home the next day, um, and uh, you know, it it's it was kind of a surreal time, surreal time. And then uh, by the time the games came back, I was able to come back again, uh, and it was it, it was. It was great, but it's at the same time eerie in that, you know, what was going to be a very celebrated, exciting event, all of a sudden had this ominous feeling uh, and a level of security and, and inadequacy that everybody was a little bit on edge, you know, just September 11th. And then, you know, a couple months later, it's going to be you know, in, in February, I believe, you know, the, the games start. And I remember trying to get into opening ceremonies and just feeling kind of this sense of like foreboding. Uh, thank goodness nothing really happened. Uh, but we just, you know, tried to make the best of it. But, uh, you know, this Salt Lake did a great job of, of making sure everybody was felt secure and had all the security uh, 
requirements at. I have to go back to driving back from Salt Lake to Illinois. <laughs> How did you make that happen? Did you rent a car and did you just drive straight through? Did you did you make a stop? I mean, that, that sounds that sounds crazy. Yeah, you know, I was actually going to stay, and you know, I was we're in a four or five star hotel, and we were safe. There was nothing going on. Like, who wants to? Who wants to do anything in Salt Lake City? So, you know, I was telling my wife, hey, I think I'm going to stick out here. And she, and then I just happened to tell her, oh, and by the way, there was a car coming home. And somebody rented a car. And uh, she just sternly said, you need to be in that car. <laughs> so I packed up and I got in the car. Somebody had rented it. And we drove straight. A bunch of agency people, a bunch of McDonald's people drove straight through the night, got in the next day. Interesting enough, there was another group from Utah who had who was who were in New York, had gotten a rental car, had driven to Chicago, but had to turn it in, and we were able to give them our car to return back to Salt Lake. So that all, I mean, even though everything kind of went up in the air, it was nice to be able to kind of have that little network to be able to to return the car back. Um, but it was a crazy time. It was. It was, uh, as you can imagine, uh, what is it, about an 18-hour drive, uh, just listening to the news every hour and, you know, the death counts and what's going on and not knowing anything. It was, uh, it was quite an incredible time to be, to be experiencing something like this. Yeah, that is really, really, really crazy. I'm just wondering if you thought to yourself after you told your wife, oh, there happens to be a car coming back. And she says, oh, you need to get that. You get in that car and you come back right away. You're thinking, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. much. You know, and the rest of the guys got back probably maybe four days later, four or five days later. So, you know what? It it's fine. It's, I'm glad to have been back with my, my wife and my daughter. Uh, that I think that at the end of the day, that was probably the more important thing to do. But at the time it was like, Hey, you know what? I, I lived, you know, I, I had family in Salt Lake. I had friends in Salt Lake. It wasn't that I was leaving something where I wouldn't be taken care of. It was the mere fact that my wife wanted me home and, you know, happy wife, happy life. So it's a quick decision. And, uh, if I recall correctly, you were here in Salt Lake during the games, but you were working with McDonald's. Uh, you know, I wasn't at that point. Unfortunately, after 9-11, they went through a reduction. So I came to the games just as a, uh, a spectator like everybody else. But I did get to see everybody and participate and had a lot of fun. So I missed that. I I, I, I knew that you were here, but I couldn't remember if you were here just uh on your own or if you were back with the with the arches saving the mcrib <laughs> it's still out there at least twice a year it's my guilty pleasure i must say uh is you're, the not McRib. Alone. you're not alone trust me <laughs> that and the sausage and egg mcmuffin which is an absolute staple for me whenever i well I would say whenever I get on an airplane, but I haven't been doing that lately, so I haven't <laughs> had too many of those. Okay, so the games end. What's next in Steve's life? Uh, I started, I continue to be in marketing. So actually, if if you believe this, I, I jumped on with a, a private security firm. Um, they, most airports were 
uh, made into a government control, put under government control. So they had people who, you know, if you're an airline security person, you're usually a government employee. But they carved out a section for private security to just make sure that that door was open. I joined a firm that was granted one of those private licenses and uh, work. It was San, San Francisco of all uh, companies. And uh, our revenues, when I started, right before I came on, was $10 million a year with the San Francisco um, private security when it went from $10 million to $130 million in six months. Uh, and we had to hire 300 people and we had to be up and running in about 90, no, about 60 days. Uh, crazy. So, uh, you know, post 9-11, definitely some companies did not do well, kind of like what we're going through today. But I became part of a very, very, very fast moving company. But uh, after a while, I really wanted to go back into traditional and sports marketing. Uh, I worked with Allstate uh, as a contractor in their sports marketing department, helped with the Allstate Nets, Allstate 400, uh, Allstate Sugar Bowl, I mean, all these different great properties. Moved over to DDB Chicago working on Sigate Farm, uh, their sponsorships, and um, they had a lot of different sponsorships, but also doing advertising, uh, and then actually moved off of there to uh, work with an NFL agent, just decided to work with athletes directly. Uh, that's when I got, got involved with a startup. We started to create in 2007, 2008, a, a startup called Fan Fuego that we raised a couple million dollars to uh, build out a Facebook for sports. Remember, 2007, Facebook was just starting to be open to non-college students. And so uh, we felt like this was an opportunity to help monetize athletes uh, through a platform. Uh, it didn't go well, as you can imagine, I'm not with it. Um, but the concept back in 2009 when I started to really get into it, I just said, hey, I think this whole thing about social media is going to stay. So that's when I opened up my agency to really deal with social media. And uh, started with some of the athletes that were on that platform and said, you know what, instead of creating my own platform, we're just going to use the platforms that are out there and monetize those. And that's how I started. And then it just started kind of building and building from that point on. Uh, and then in 2014, was asked to start teaching. I started guest teaching a little bit, but then they formally asked me to start teaching. So I've been kind of doing both for the last uh, seven years, which has been exciting for me. I get a little bit of both. And uh, I, I get to hang out with students and I get to practice what I preach and vice versa, which has been wonderful. That's so cool. Now, when you look at your dual role there, both uh, as the founder of your own company and then also as an adjunct professor, are there lessons that you learned in Salt Lake that still apply today to the work that you do or the teachings that you impart with your students? Well, one of the big things I think is that Salt Lake, especially in marketing, uh, gave me uh, the playbook to 50 different mark, uh, marketers in terms of how do they look at their brand and how do they leverage that brand in using the Olympics. And so you would think, oh, you know, marketing is cookie cutter. Well, some of the processes are probably cookie cutter, but it was very fascinating to have access to some of the greatest marketing minds and look at their plans and how they used it. And so it, it afforded me this opportunity now to 
be able to look at, you know, when I have a new client or when I'm teaching, I get to pull from that experience of saying one pro one program, 50 different ways to leverage it. And, and so for me as a teacher, as an adjunct, uh, and not necessarily what we would call a traditional research academic is I bring a lot of, of different experiences to my students, which has been great. Uh, the other part too, is just, you know, the, the concept of, um, responsiveness. It's, you know, your clients needs you and, you know, you are, especially in Salt Lake is you're dealing with, you're dealing with IOC, which is hours ahead of you. Then you're dealing with clients on the East coast and the West coast. And, you know, they're, they're getting the people on the East coast are up early and you need to respond to them. The ones on the West coast are working late. So you still need to respond to them. So responsiveness is really important in account service. And that just became one of my trademarks that I really have required my students to understand is your clients really need you to respond quickly. And so I will respond quickly to you. And I expect, I want them to respond quickly too, because it's important. And then lastly, it's just partnerships. You just can't do things your own by yourself. And so that's why I really enjoyed the the people I worked with, both on the Slack side, the Opus side, the USOC side. It, t- it, it literally does take a village. I mean, in this point, it was an Olympic village. But all those people brought different strengths and different opportunities and perspectives and pulled off, you know, they, we continue to pull off every two to four years, right? Or three, talking about Tokyo, uh, some of the most amazing events and experiences that anybody in the world has ever experienced. This has been a real uh, joy for me, Steve, uh, to connect with you and hear all of your stories. We've got a few assignments before we wrap things up. Sure. Um, the first one has to do with the song. Is there a particular song that you hear today that takes you right back to Salt Lake 2002? Oh, yeah. It's, oh, goodness gracious. You're going to have to, uh, do you remember what it was? <laughs> I don't remember. I, uh, Lose Yourself, I think, was the mo- the, the song that I recommended. Uh, that was around 2000, 2001. It was, it, it, I use it when I run or when I was, especially when I was training for the marathon, it, uh, it just was, is a great song. And so that's, that's the song I recommend. Now, hold on a second. Training for the marathon. Uh, yeah. Back in 2008, I trained for the, um, the Chicago marathon. Well, I ran the Chicago marathon. Holy cow. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I think you, you overestimate, you know, if you, if you want to say, Hey, Steve, did you complete it? I'd say, Yes. Outside of that, don't ask about, about times and how it ended and all that fun stuff. I completed it. Completed it. It's awesome. I wouldn't say, ah, but it's, you know, he did it in 12 hours. I wouldn't care. 12 yeah. hours would be awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, remind me of the artist that sings Lose Yourself. M&M. 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 Okay. That's right. Yep. All right. We'll add Lose Yourself to the Spotify playlist. Okay. How about food? A particular restaurant that you like to go to? I'll give you two. One, which I don't think is there anymore, but I always had a laugh, especially in in very conservative uh, Salt Lake downtown, was big ass coffee with a donkey that was right there. 
Uh, I always thought it was great. It had good coffee, but I just thought, man, it is, you don't usually see that in, in a town like Salt Lake. So love that. Uh, but the one I really would recommend that we always go to is probably our favorite is Porcupine Grill. So that is on Fort Union, I believe, on the Fort Union area, uh, right at the base of, what is it, Big Cottonwood Canyon. So great little place. And uh, always love going there. Uh, we always, uh, always go visit. And I would recommend going there every time. All right, fantastic. We'll definitely add those to the map. Well, the coffee place is not there anymore. We'll put it on the list. Uh, I have a list of restaurants that are no longer there, but Porcupine Grill is definitely still around, so I'll put that on the map on the website. And my final question for you today, Steve, is there a particular moment of the games? It could have been a competition you witnessed while you were there, or it could have been an experience that you had while you were actually working for Salt Lake that just gives you all the good feels, you know, a real goosebump moment for you? You know, uh, I remember I gave you one example the first time we went through. And so I'm actually give you a different example because um, as I thought about it, it, it was a really good day. And it was actually a day, and I'll explain why. Uh, one of my clients that I had, uh, that I managed, had the opportunity to manage um, was Delta. And Tom, uh, I can't remember Tom's last name. He unfortunately he passed, but uh, Tom was my sponsor, my my client, and uh, they wrapped an Olympic uh, a, a seven forty seven or seven 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 forty seven with the Olympic colors, and uh, I just remember helping him out with the launch, and everybody they brought a bunch of school kids in, and they flew the plane and they tipped the plane. It was great. But the crazy part is, is that we ran a promotion, helped them run a promotion, where it was going to be uh, a one-way flight was going to be $20.02 to from one place to another. And one of the things we got to do that day is we flew that plane. There, there was a group of us plus uh, an Olympian uh, that flew that plane from city to city. So we went from Salt Lake to, I think, L.A. to... Uh, I think Seattle to Houston to Atlanta to I think we ended up in Boston uh, and then we were back by like eight o'clock that night it was crazy we did like I don't know how many mil- thousands of miles but we flew that plane all over the U.S. and then came back that night and it was great it was absolutely fantastic and then and having and hanging out with an Olympian on board totally memorable just a great time. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. The only downside of that is you probably didn't earn frequent flyer miles. We didn't. And the Olympian was Nikki Stone. So just so you know, so uh, she was great. And it was uh, the only, I think, bad thing outside not getting the miles is that some people actually paid full price. And so when we had said, hey, this is a promotion, you you know, for those of you who are able to get this for $20 and two cents, you saw some faces that were what do you mean? I paid $600 to be on this flight. So that wasn't very fun. <laughs> wow. Well, I think that's uh, that's about the best way you can spend $20 and two cents. Oh, absolutely. See pretty much the entire United States of America in a day on a oh, plane. And in first class. So that was even better for me. So, oh, yep. yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, Steve, that's a great story. Thank you very much for sharing that story. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing with the uh, 
the, the media company or your professorship, or they want to just reconnect with you and share memories of Salt Lake 2002, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. You can just go to my website at www.iov, as in victory, media, media.com. You can fill out the contact form. You can just also just Google me and find me on LinkedIn and connect with me there. Love to reconnect with people. All right. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thanks you. thank you once again for joining us. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. And Steve, once again, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.